Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. It's good to be uh, praising God and able to praise God and able to worship God and the unity of the Spirit. And that we can come together and at any time for that matter, in anywhere and in any place, and we can come together and we can be united. And Jesus said that wherever uh, two or three or more are gathered in my name, I shall be there. And so I'm thankful because I know that I'm gathered in the name of the only Son of Jesus, our only Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know we are too, and I know He is with us and among us. So I just want to thank you for joining us today, Gospel Saving Church, in my home in McKinney, Texas, and also on SoundCloud and YouTube or wherever you're coming from. I just want to thank you and welcome you into my home as well. God bless you. And may the joy of the Lord be your strength today. Let's, uh, let's pray for our sermon, then I'll get into the title, and we'll read our scripture. If you guys want to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer, just to bless the service, please, I'd appreciate it. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we get to gather together in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Thank you that there's freedoms for that in our America still, Lord. I know that some countries, you know, Lord, you're sending this message into, Lord. The message is not uh, welcome, Lord. I know the message is uh, attacked and physically and violently and persecutedly, Lord. I know that I thank you for the freedoms that we still have in America. Lord, I pray for these freedoms to extend to across the world, Lord, into the foreign countries, Lord, into the Islamic countries, Lord, into the, into the Hindu countries, Lord, into all the countries all over the world, Lord. I pray that they, they would be able to have these freedoms that we have in America to worship you freely. Lord, they do it anyway, Lord, and I thank you for that, for their courage, Lord, that they worship you anyway, despite the persecution that they face, even the, the threat of them being caught together. I thank you, Lord God, that they still do it anyway, Lord, because you're real to them just like you're real to me. And Lord, we only, we only do the things that are real to us, Lord. If, if you're real to us, then we, then we share you. If you're real to us, then we meet for church. If you're, if, we're real, if you're real to us, then we pray and we seek your face and we search and seek your word and we search for you. And Lord, we, you are real to us, Lord, and I thank you that you are real to us, Lord, and you've revealed yourself to each one of us, Lord. I pray that you continue to do so, Lord God. You continue, please, Lord, to reveal yourself. And I pray that you'd reveal yourself in a mighty way through your word today. Yes. Through my mouth, Lord, and through the word that I'm going to read in your text, Lord, in the section of Scripture you've given us to study today. Whew, Lord, I pray that your truth would go forth into a whole world, Lord. I pray just this message would just penetrate even the darkest corners of this world, Lord God, with the truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts, Lord, receive that truth, Lord. Everybody that will ever listen, Lord, and Anybody that will even take this message and download it, Lord, and give it to friends and in restricted countries, Lord God, and that, that this truth would penetrate their hearts as well too, Lord. Just the truth of the Bible. Not my truth or not my friend's truth or not my family's truths, Lord, or whatever. I pray your truths, your word, your truths would penetrate people's hearts. And those truths would, would get through to people, Lord God. Jesus, you said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. I pray, Lord, the truth that I read today would set men and women and children free from their sin and their bondage. Lord, I love you and I praise you and I thank you. And I ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 13 through 20. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. The title of our section of scripture today is, You Are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. What a title, huh? What a truth. You are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Let's read it, and then we'll get to teaching. Matthew 16, verse 13. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's our title today, by the way. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and on the gates of Hades, or and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus, the Christ. Praise be to God. So remember two weeks ago we talked about, you know, because I was off last week. We were on vacation, so welcome back, everybody. I'm sorry we missed you on SoundCloud and over the world. We were on vacation. We went up north and visited my wife's family, so welcome back. I'm sorry I missed a week, but here we're back again. And so remember two weeks ago we, we talked about how Jesus warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And so he warned them about that. And how we, remember we talked about how that also stands for us today. We need to beware of the leaven of the people that claim themselves to be religious leaders of our day as well too because there's many in our world today, there's many false teachers, many false leaven, most, most, a lot of evil leaven out there just like there was in Jesus' day. Remember he taught them this lesson in the region of Decapolis, Decapolis being a ten-city region there on the other side of the Sea of Galilee across from Israel. Well, today we open up with our first verse today in our first part of verse 13, where the Bible records when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. So now they're no longer, just in case you're wondering, our scene, they're no longer on the sea, they're no longer in the region of Decapolis, now they're in Caesarea Philippi. Well, they would have had to travel by foot, there was no boat there, they would have had to travel by foot up north to go to Caesarea Philippi instead of being in Decapolis, because Caesarea Philippi was exactly due north of the Decapolis region, of those ten cities of Decapolis. So they traveled north a good amount of time, and they come into the region of this, again, foreign land. Their location has changed, just that I talked about, but the discussion and the topic that Jesus was talking about actually has not. Sometimes in the Bible, when you go from one text to the next text, to one section to the next section, your scripture will change, your topics will change. You know, Jesus will switch subjects, or he'll go from this subject and talk about a whole new subject. But in this text, we find, and I'll show you how it really, this scripture piggybacks off of Jesus' warning to the disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's really a continuation. They just went from one place to another, and they talk about it. Now, why would I say this? I'll show you. Look at the question in verse 10. Uh, verse 13. So he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? You see, I believe this question is indirectly pointing his disciples 
to the poisonous leaven the religious leaders were teaching about Jesus being from the devil. Remember, he healed a, he healed a, a man, a, a great healing, and then they came along, they heard about it, and they came, and they were said, this man does these deeds by the devil, not by, you know, not by the power of God. And then, you know, Jesus goes in to tell them how they were wrong and talk about how they were wrong. So these religious leaders did not believe that he was from God, but they believed that he was from the devil. So this question points at, you know, the fact of, he, he wants to ask this question to find out if the people of his time were buying into the fact that the, you know, the buying into the false teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees saying that he was from the devil. So by the way, you know, now that we talked about the dangerous you know, religion of the Pharisees, the, da the dangerous leaven, what, or leaven, what, what would you, who do the people say that I am? You know, are they, in a sense I could hear them, are they believing? that I'm not from God, or are they believing that I'm really from the devil? So again, I believe that he asked this question to find out what the people were saying about him, if the people were really buying into the lies of the religious leaders of their time, or if they weren't. So, what do we find here in our scripture? Were the people buying into the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Read verse 14, again with me. So they said, some say John, now this is his disciples, and they're talking about what the people are believing about Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. So according to this verse, were they buying into the fact that Jesus was of the devil or he was of God? Actually, yes, somewhat, sadly, in part. I know, sorry, that's a lot. But they did not believe that he was wholly from the devil, but they did not also wholly believe that he was from God either, because it, their answers in verse 14 show us that they, they don't believe he's the Christ. Because look, Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. It, you know, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll buy the fact that he might be from God. But will we buy the fact that he's the Christ, what he's been teaching, what he's been showing us by the miracles that he's doing? Uh, you know, not really. But, you know, he, he can't believe, the, well, we can't believe he's from the devil either. So what they did was, their answers show us, what they did was they really settled on the middle ground about Jesus. They settled somewhere in between from the devil to God's only messenger, God's Christ. They said, well, he's just somewhere in the middle. John the Baptist or one of the prophets or, just, you know, he's somewhere. So, so why, why not just believe he's the Christ? Or, or why not just believe he's from the devil? Well, you know, see, I believe that God gave men a conscience. And you see, their conscience would not allow them, I believe anyway, to say he was holy from the devil. I believe their conscience would have been leading them to say he's, he's of God, he's the Christ. But their conscience, despite the lies of the religious leaders that they spoke about him, their consciences would not allow them to just dismiss him away completely because of all the what? We looked at it in the weeks past, all the supernatural miracles that he was doing that only the Christ could do to show people, hey, I'm the messenger of God. I am the, I'm the, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. Here, believe in me. Look who I am. Here, look at I'll, I'll heal this blind man from birth. You know, they said, well, nobody can heal a blind man from birth. No, nobody's ever done that in the history of mankind. Jesus and the Christ said that they would, and he said that he would, and so he did it. And so he did things that nobody ever would do. No other messenger of God, no other prophet of God would do. So sadly, we see here that the masses just compromised and settled on an in-between belief about Jesus. 
Middle ground, the Bible says, and I say too, is not a good place to be, by the way. A middle ground is never a good place to be. Remember Jesus said in Revelation 3.16, So then because you are lukewarm, and lukewarm would be in the middle, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of, your, out of my mouth. So God doesn't look at lukewarm or middle ground as, as any good place to be for anybody. God would rather have you be totally hot for him or totally cold against him. But to be lukewarm, to be terrible, to be terrible. Why does, why does Jesus feel this way? Why do I feel this way? Why does God feel this way? I believe in God's word. I believe in God's book. If you're seeing evidences of something to be true, as all these people did here in this scripture, as all these people did in Jesus' life. As we can see our evidences of creation and supernatural things that are in our world today, if you, as you, if you could see these evidences as things to be true, like these guys did here, despite whatever you've been taught by whoever you've been taught by, I don't care if it was the president or, or the king of the whole world, for that matter, despite who teaches you whatever they teach you, if you see a truth, you have to believe whatever the evidence or the solid proof shows you to be true and be passionate for that truth, not be in the middle. Because if you could see that truth and just be like, oh, well, and, and just be just sympathetic toward it, then really that truth has done you no good at all. I have this saying that I, God gave me a long time ago. Foolishness is wisdom not applied you have wisdom and you don't apply it, it's foolishness to you. It's, it's no good for you to have wisdom if you don't use the wisdom. In, in a sense, if you're hot or cold, if you're, if you're hot, you're using your wisdom and you're applying that wisdom and, it's, and it means something to you and you're passionate about it. But if you're cold, you're just, well, I just, I know it, but I just rather not. Just leave me alone. But if you're lukewarm, you're almost like, well, I know it's the truth, but oh, but I, and, and you're just lazy. And, and you're just, you know, set in your way and you're just not willing to, to get up out of your seat and do anything about the truth that you know. Well, the masses didn't want to pick sides. They wanted, the, they wanted to be involved with the synagogues and the religious leaders and they wanted all that they had to give them. They wanted all that they could get from them, but then they also wanted all that Jesus would give them too. So they just picked the middle. Remember in John 6 where Jesus fed 5,000, which could have been as many as 15 or 10 or 15 or 25 or 20,000. Jesus feeds these mass amounts of people. He does these miracles. The people, I guess, are sleeping or they're resting. And Jesus and the disciples, they get up and then they leave all together. So the people kind of get up out of their kind of their slumber and they're like, hey, where did Jesus go? Where, where did the disciples go? Where, where did Jesus go? So they go all around looking for him. They go down by the sea. They notice the boat's not there. They're like, well, well, where did he go? So they search and 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 they, and they finally go across. They figure he'd gone across the other side and they, and they ask him, Jesus, well, where, are, where have you been? How did you get to this place? And Jesus answers them in John 6, 26 and says, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs. You can say that I did all the ways in which I fed you and all the miracles that I did among you, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. So the people, the masses, of, uh, amounts of people, they really just wanted to Jesus to do miracles for them and feed their hungry bellies. But they never really wanted to come and follow him as the Jewish Messiah and surrender to him and, and you know, put him in his rightful place that he really deserved in their lives. They just wanted all of his benefits. And that was the problem. They wanted all of his benefits and then they wanted all of their 
of their religion's benefits, their, their, you know, their religious leaders and their benefits, and going to synagogue and looking righteous or looking holy. And so they just figured, well, we'll just pick a middle ground about Jesus. And oh, he's just a man of God, you know, just, just, you know, somewhere in the middle. So now that Jesus heard the masses opinion of him, what does he do? He, f he figures out, okay, I see what the game is here. I, I know what's going on here. Well, what does he do next? Read verse 15. So he says to them, but who do you say that I am? He's speaking here directly to the disciples at this point now. He's not talking about the people. He's not talking about who's outside. He's talking about the insiders. He asks those that are closest to him who they think that he is. What's their reply? And I like what he did here, by the way. I always love everything Jesus does. Verse 16, what's their reply? So Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, Peter stands up for all of them. And as a side note, I'm glad that he did. <laughs> but on a side note, I, I almost wonder if, if you know if you know your Bible very well, it seems that Peter always jumped up for all the disciples. He always was almost the first one to jump up there and say, oh, but hey, Jesus, I'll, you know, and ask a question, and he'd be the one to answer. I almost wonder if the disciples didn't, in a sense, outside of the word, elect him to say, hey, hey, you're, you're outgoing. And any time that Jesus asks a question, well, just jump up and answer. I mean, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But, you know, it seems funny that Peter's always the one jumping up and answering the questions. And so Peter here again, we see him again. He jumps up for all the disciples and he answers. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And again, I praise the Lord. I'm glad that he did. And why am I glad that he did? Because he was a first-hand eyewitness of Jesus and his walking on the face of the planet. If you think about it, and I love how the Bible really addresses this. We're going to talk about this for a few minutes. If you have a car accident or you have a, a personal injury case, let's say somebody slips and falls at a, at a local grocery store, or you have any kind of dispute sake, you know, where somebody hurt something or, or some, you think somebody hurt something, who, if that goes to trial or, or if somebody's investigating that, who are the people or the person that the investigators want the most to hear about what happened? They don't, they don't want the guy that was a mile back to kind of saw it out of the corner of his eye. They, they don't want the guy who kind of just he heard the crash or heard the fall and then he looked. They want the person that was right there on top of the accident looking right at it as the person fell. They want what? A, the, first hand, the closest first-hand eyewitness that they can get. In other words, the person or persons who had the closest look at what happened and whatever they're trying to investigate. And for who Jesus was, FYI, in case you're wondering, for who Jesus was, there wouldn't have been any closer of an eyewitness than these three, Peter, James, and John. These were, the Bible calls them really, and I, I've put this, I've heard this label before, these were Jesus's big three. These were his closest three companions out of all the 12 disciples. We can look at Matthew 17, 1 through 13, where on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain as he was transfigured before their eyes and sat there talking with Moses and Elijah. And we can go to Matthew 27, 36 and 37, where he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's about to be crucified, Peter, James, he takes all the 12 to the garden. 
But then he goes a little further. And what does he do? He takes Peter, James, and John along with him to be kind of up near where he was while he was praying, while he leaves the other eight behind because Judas wasn't there with him. He was with the Roman legion or Roman guards trying to go after Jesus. So these three, these big three, I call them, were part of Jesus' inner circle. These three were the closest, most intimate people that Jesus knew, even amongst the 12, while he walked on the face of the planet, Peter, James, and John. Even the disciple John writes about this in 1 John uh, 1 through 4, where he realizes this, this, you know, this importance of, you know, how important was it that Jesus did have a firsthand eyewitness that witnessed his life from the closest that you could get, where he writes in 1 John 1 through 4. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning. So he's speaking about Jesus here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled. He gives us four different distinct things that he, as John, being one of Jesus' big three, saw right like as close as we are sitting in this room right here, as close as you'd, as close as you'd be with your family members on vacation. He was that close to, his, to Jesus while he lived. And he says here, and just in verse 1, we have heard. He talks about how they heard him directly with their own ears. They heard him talk. Not they didn't hear it from somebody else. They heard it with their own ears. And look at, he says, we have seen with our own eyes or with our eyes. Not we heard it or we saw it from somebody else. We saw it with our eyes. We saw this from the beginning, this Jesus. Look, look what he says. We have looked upon it. So that means when you look upon, that's not just a glance. That's like you've seen the most beautiful thing in creation that you could ever see. You're walking down the street and you see this beautiful flower. And you look and you stop and you go up to it and you smell it and you look upon it. You're, you're studying it. You're not just, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, let's go. You're looking upon it. He's, he's giving these characteristics of look at how close we were to Jesus. Look at how intimate we were with him. We knew him in and out. And then he ends up with, and our hands have handled, and he talks about Jesus concerning the words of life. They touched him. We put our hands on him. We, we hugged him. We, we gave him a kiss on the cheek, and we, we, we loved him. When the, we, we were there with him. And he says, concerning of the word of life, the life was manifested, so it was made known to them. And we have seen and bear witness. We are firsthand eyewitnesses to you of this great life that was shown us, of this word of life that was shown us. And we declare to you, now he's, telling, now he's telling us that now we not only saw this stuff, but we're, we're telling you from our firsthand account, from our hearts, we saw this and we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that's what we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. He repeats it again that these things which we have seen and heard we declare to you. Whenever in Jewish poetry, whenever they declare something more than one time, two and three times, that means that's kind of like our letters today. We're capitalizing it. We're, but when we really want to emphasize something in our writing, we everything we want to write. I'm telling you the truth, all caps. <gasps> Whoa, he's, he's yelling at me. Well, John is yelling at us here. We've seen him, we've touched him, we've handled him, we've held him, we've hugged him, we've kissed him, we've heard him, we've looked upon him. We know this man and this is the truth and we know that you can have joy with us because of the close relationship, because of the intimacy we had with the Christ. 
So back to Peter's answer for them all in verse, uh, verse 16, who, who again had first-hand knowledge, who would have absolutely known if Jesus was, what, fraud or the real deal. G Peter would have known. He answers Jesus with probably the single most powerful statement in the whole entire Bible. I'll read it again just because I love to read it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does he do here? He tells us in, with indisputable, hands down, without any doubt or controversy, truth, that Jesus of Nazareth was and is absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, shadow returning, the promised Messiah or Christ or Son of the living God and Savior of the entire world. And he doesn't bat an eye. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Yes. Amen. Praise God. And not, you could say, just some mere man or some mere prophet or, or some mere, you know, Moses or Elijah, which again, not that Moses or Elijah or any of the prophets or John the Baptist were bad or evil or, or wrong. They were great godly men. But the fact of the matter is, is they weren't the Christ. They didn't come to save mankind. They were just sinful like you and me. They weren't the Christ. They weren't the one to save the world of their sins. And for our information, just so we know, because it's going to be important as we move on, for our information, I want to give you some, just a few, of the characteristics of what the Christ had to match from prophecy in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled every one of them. The Messiah, number one, the Christ, who Jesus claimed to be, which Peter said emphatically that he was here, had to be, number one, God among us. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he had to be Emmanuel. God with us. The Christ, this man, would have to be God with us. Number two, he had to be God's son and God Almighty among us. In, verses, uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, God talks about how he would be the wonderful counselor. Mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, this child shall be born among you. So he had to be the son of God and God Almighty in the flesh as well too. Isaiah 9, 6. He had to be the savior of the Jews and Gentiles, you could say the whole world. And boy, there's so many. I just have a few. Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 53. The whole chapter. He had to be the Messiah. He had to be the Christ. The Savior for the Jews and the Gentiles as well. The one to come to save the whole world. Those are just a few. We could go on and on and on. That could be a whole sermon on its own. But just for today's context and for what we're studying today, Jesus or the Christ had to fulfill those things. And Jesus, FYI, fulfilled those and every single one of the prophetical things about the Christ that he had to be. These are just some of the, these are just a few of the big ones that the Jewish Messiah would have to be. And he fulfilled them all. But sadly... This truthful statement of Peter's about Jesus being Messiah or Christ is probably, not only is it one of the greatest statements in the whole entire Bible that was ever made, but it's also one of the most rejected claims in the entire Bible by most of the people in our world today, sadly. Other religions say, I'm just going to go through a few, going to be a little elaborate, but other religions say, and I, you know, if you're out there listening, I didn't make this up. Uh, for my first one, I'm going to talk about Islam and what Muslims believe, and this came from islamicawareness.org. This is not something I just made up, or I just, oh, I'm just going to write some bad things down about Muslims or whatever, but I'm, I'm going to read you what Muslims believe about Jesus. The one that Peter emphatically said was the Christ, the Son of the living God, 
the Messiah, the Savior of the whole world. I'm going to read you what Muslims believe right out of their own writing. And believe it or not, these writings, and I'm going to read you, come from literal inscriptions. On the, I'm going to give you two sets of them. One comes from the inner, the, it's called the Dome of the Rock Mosque, it's in Jerusalem. And it's this big place, it's the, one of the holiest places of all of Islam. And in this Dome of the Rock Mosque, they have writing all around their Dome of the Rock Mosque, and they have writing on the inside of the Dome of the Rock Mosque where people come in to worship. And on the inside, this is what Islam believes about Jesus, even though our Bible as a whole even declares Christ to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God. On the inside of the octagonal arcade of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, it starts off with on the south side. In the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate. There is no God but God. He is one. He has no associate. And in case you're wondering, when you hear that, he has no associate, that means no one is comparable to him. Yet, Jesus claimed that him and God were one. Me and the Father are one. He says, unto him belongeth sovereignty, and unto him belongeth praise. He quickeneth, and he giveth death and he and he has power over all things now that's true about god almighty now this is false muhammad is the servant of god and his messenger well we know that not to be true on the southeast side god and his angels shower blessings on the prophet speaking of muhammad here O ye who believe ask blessing on him and salute him with a worthy salutation. The blessing of God be upon him and peace be on him. In case you've ever talked to a Muslim, they'll always say, oh, peace be upon Muhammad. Peace be upon him if they ever say his name. Well, that's, this is where they get that. And may God have mercy. And then he goes into the really, really negative stuff here. Oh, people of the book, speaking of Christians and Jews, in case you're wondering, people of the book, do not exaggerate in your religion, nor utter aught concerning God, save the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, was only a messenger of God. And his word, which he conveyed unto Mary and the spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say not thee, cease. Do not say that Jesus Christ is anything other than just a messenger of God. Wow. On the east side, nor utter aught concerning God, save the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of God. And his word which he conveyed unto Mary and a spirit from him. So believe in God and his messengers and say not thee, cease. Northeast side. Believe, or better for you, God is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. That's right. You heard it. What did Peter say here? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And yet, right on the northeast side of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, Far be it removed from his transcendence, speaking of God, majesty, that he should have not a son, that he should not, that he should have a son. He is all that is sad. In the heavens and on the earth, and God is sufficient as defender. The Messiah will never be scorned to be a servant unto God, nor will the favored angels, whosoever scorneth his service and is proud, all such will he assemble unto him. O oh God, bless your messenger and your servant, Jesus. Notice Jesus is just a prophet, just a messenger, just a servant. He's not the son of God. 
Wow, how sad is that? He, he ends off on the northwest side. It benefit not the majesty of God that he should take unto himself a son. And glory be unto him. And now that was just the inside. They seem to be a little bit more bold on the inside than they were on the outside. On the outside, we read on the south side, the name in the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate. There is no God but God. He is one and has no associate. Remember that again, he has nobody that's equal to him, even though Jesus claimed to be equal with God. He, he claimed equality with God. Say he is God, the one, God, the eternal, besought of all. He begetteth not, nor was he begotten. Yet Jesus is called the only begotten, son of God. And yet, right here on the outside of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, they say he has not begotten any, even though the Bible says Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. We go down to the northwest side. God, who hath not taken unto himself a son, and who hath no partner in the sovereignty, nor hath he any protecting friend through dependence. So again, several times here, Muslims, Islam believes that Jesus Christ is not the Son of the living God. Peter's claim here of, Christ, of Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if, and if, you, wouldn't, if, if you wouldn't say anything, I, I'd almost believe just by hearing those things that it seems as if the religion of Islam was created just as a, as a, to be against what the Bible says about Jesus. It's almost like this religion was created just to contradict God's only word about his son, Jesus Christ, and about the Bible's message about Jesus Christ. It just seems that way to me. Uh, Buddhists believe. Well, Buddhists believe, in case you didn't know, he was just another enlightened spiritual teacher, just like Siddhartha Gautama, the founder of Buddhism, or what they call, who they would reference as Buddha today. Jesus was just another enlightened teacher. They would also call Muhammad just another enlightened teacher. Jesus, uh, Siddhartha, they were all just enlightened teachers, just sent from God. Sad. Jews who don't practice Christianity, non-Messianic Jews or those who practice Judaism, they just reject Peter's claims altogether of Christ. And they just, they, they just nowadays, they would say that Jesus was just a fraud and the, you know, Christianity as a whole was just a worthless religion and that the Messiah has never come. And we already knew that. I just wanted to throw that one out there too. Hindus accept and reject what Christ is and who Christ is. Why do I say that? They accept it, but they reject it. They'll tell you if you talk to a Hindu that they believe, oh, well, yeah, he's God, and oh, well, yeah, he's the Son of God, and oh, you know, he's a messenger and all that, but yeah, he's not the only way to heaven. He's not the only Savior of the world. He, he's just, you know, he's God and all. We, we, you know, we can worship him and, you know, any religion that you want to follow, any, you know, whether you want to be a Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or, you know, Baha'i or any, you just worship any God you want. You just all lead to the same place. Well, we'll all make it to heaven. So they reject his claim of being God's only way to heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no man cometh to the Father but by me. So they reject that claim, but they'll, they'll agree with you that he's God and all that, but they reject him as Messiah of the world. Baha'i, this one you're going to get a kick out of. It's so sad that we have what they call today the Baha'i faith, uh, founded by a Baha'u'llah, a Baha'u'llah, however you say his name. And this one comes from Baha'i.org, right from their own writing, right from their own website. And this is what they say about Jesus and, and Baha'u'llah. 
he claimed to be nothing less than a new and independent messenger from God, speaking of Baha'u'llah. His life, work, and influence parallel that of Abraham, Krishna, Moses, Zoroaster, uh, Zoroaster, Buddha, Christ, and Muhammad. Baha'i's Bahai, view of Baha'u'llah is the most recent in the succession of divine messengers. Jesus is just another messenger in the Baha'i faith. The essential message of Baha'u'llah is that of unity. He taught that there's only one God, that there's only one human race, and that all the world's religions represent stages in the revelation of God's will and purpose for humanity. In this day, Baha'u'llah said humanity has collectively come of age, as foretold in all the world's scriptures. The time has arrived for the uniting of all peoples into a peaceful and integrated global society. And of course, just like Muhammad, just like many others, he of course was the one that was going to bring this in. Of course, he was the, the final messenger that was going to bring in this final message of God's grace and God's, you know, you know, oh, just love and unify the whole world. He, of course, was the one to bring that in. Notice that everyone that claims to be the one also, also claims to be the one to bring the message of true salvation to the earth or true, you know, coming to God. Of course, the one that created the religion is always the one that did that. <clears throat> and this last one, the saddest one that we have, really a pandemic in America, last one, even most professing, so-called Christians will also deny Jesus as the Christ, the Savior of the world. And you say, how is that, Pastor Ed? How is that? Well, most Christians, if you talk to them, or so-called people that call themselves Christians, will deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, you can't say, you can't say, Pastor Ed, that, that Jesus is the only one to pe get people saved. You're, you're, being, you're being very dogmatic there. You're being very narrow-minded. How, how can we say that there's only one way to heaven? So you mean to tell me that all the Buddhists and all the Hindus and, and all the Zoroastrians, they're all just going to hell because they've never heard it. They don't believe in the name of Jesus. What that they'll tell you that they're Christians and that they won't believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, which means that he's the only way to heaven. Sad, really sad. So I hope you're getting a picture of what the world and even people that claim themselves to be followers of Christ say about Jesus. It's sad, even though Peter and the Bible's proclamation was powerful, and the truth is, is that they both proclaim, both Peter and the Bible proclaim Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, the Messiah of the world. Consequently, in case you're wondering what this message cost Peter, it cost him his life. About 64 AD under Nero, it cost him his life because he died. And all he would have had to do is reject that Jesus was the Savior of the world. Reject that Jesus Christ was God's Son and that he came to save the world. Okay, enough, 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 enough of Peter's testimony about who Jesus was. What did Jesus himself have to say about Peter's claim about him? Look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus responds to Peter's claim, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. What was Jesus' response to Peter's claim? He gives an ecstatic, 
overwhelmingly powerful approval of what Peter just said. And his belief that he was the Christ, that he was the Savior of the world, what did it cost him? Well, it cost him his life too. By these evil people that said that he was from the devil, they ended up crucifying him and killing him. All because of the fact that he said he was who he was. See, Jesus couldn't lie. And the fact that all he would have to do is say that he wasn't the Christ and he was just another man of God, they would have never crucified him. He never would have died. But the fact that he died the way he did, he couldn't lie. He had to tell the truth. I am as you say I am when Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? I am as you say that I am. As a side note, just so you guys know, you know, a lot of people take this verse 18 out of context, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And there's, there's certain beliefs out there that would say that on Peter, God was gonna, Christ was going to build his church on the man of Peter. And believe it or not, that is a belief out there. It's a main belief of certain religions out there. Uh, the Greek words for Peter is the Greek word for Peter is Petros, which means rock or stone. And the the word for on, on this rock I will build my church is Petros, two different words, which means a large rock. In case you're wondering, just so you know, Jesus was not saying on Peter I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. He was referencing, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. He was re referencing Peter's statement about him. Because you see, if Jesus wasn't the Christ, he wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't the Savior of the world, then we would have no Christianity. Because Christ would have been a fraud and God would have made his faith die off, this faith die off a long time ago. So on this rock, the rock of what you said, Peter, your statement of me, I'll build my church on that statement. And to this day, God's church stands on this statement that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah of the world. Yeah. And as of yet, and will be till Christ comes back, Satan and all his minions and the gates of Hades have not yet been able to prevail against God's church, e even though they try every day. Amen. Glory to God. Yeah. Praise be to God. Amen. So Jesus goes on further to say in verse 19, let's read on so we can finish up. Verse 19, he goes on to say, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Well, remember we talked about in several, in, in some time ago in a sermon that we talked about, we talked about how Jesus Christ, you know, we said it before, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. I believe when Jesus says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, well, Jesus Christ, being the Christ, being the Messiah, is the key to heaven. Because nobody gets into heaven unless Jesus is the Christ. Because if Jesus was just another prophet, then we would have no entrance to heaven by his blood, by his new sacrifice that he made for us. And whatever you loose or bind, whether we give that information to people or whether we hold it back, we can either allow people as Christians, as Peter, as the disciples, we can either allow that information to flow from us, to tell people about the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and offer them an entrance, a key to the kingdom of heaven, or we can hold back and we can bind that information and we can hold back our information about Jesus being the Christ and then not give the people the key that they need to get into heaven. Well, remember, because we might be a little confused by this last verse here. Remember, he goes on to say, <clears throat> then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one 
that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, wait a minute. Was Jesus himself telling them to bind that information so that people couldn't have an entrance into heaven? We have to be careful when looking at this verse because we have to look at verse 19 where he says, Jesus says, just look at the first part, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. See, he hasn't yet given them that ability to go out and tell people that, that account of him just yet. It's a future thing. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Remember reading verse 20, that it wasn't something they were supposed to do now, but it was something that he commissions them later. Go ye therefore into all the earth and preach the gospel. Well, the gospel is that the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, came and died for the sins of the world. So he goes and tells them full forcibly to go off then after his death and resurrection. Now I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Go ye therefore to all the world and preach the gospel. So why would he have told them that here? A couple different reasons that we should look at why he told them not to do it. Remember we've talked about in previous sermons about how much attention Jesus gathered when he went from place to place. At this point in our section of scripture in Matthew, he could hardly, scarcely go from one town to another without being mobbed by multitudes, thousands upon thousands of people. And the more that his disciples would have gone out and telling people, he's the Christ, come see, the, he wouldn't have been able to even move at all. He'd have been stuck in one place. That's one thing to think about. Number two, for that time, Jesus himself was proclaiming this truth about himself. He didn't need anybody to go out and tell anybody what he was doing because he still had to prove to people that he was the Christ by all his miracles, by all his signs, by all his wonders, by all the things which he was doing. He himself had to go out and do this by his own testimony. And as we read in verse 14, even though he was doing this, the people weren't believing that he was the Christ, even though he was showing them firsthand, this is who I am. So what would have needed him to have the disciples go out and do it? He needed them to learn his ways so that they could learn his ways fully and then go out and tell people about this truth after he wasn't there anymore to do it for himself. So it's not that he just said here, oh, I don't, you know, I want, I want to keep heaven hidden from people. He said, I will not give you the, kingdom, the keys of the kingdom of heaven just yet. But he said later on, I will. Now, a lot of information today. We covered a lot about other faiths, what other people believe about Jesus, what other people believed. <clears throat> we even talked about today, what people believe today. But with all the information that we covered, there's only one main thing that's important for us today. Out of all that we covered, all that we talked about, only one thing remains important. And that's this, as Jesus asked the disciples, as Jesus asked about the people, I'll ask all of you that are listening, who have you determined that Jesus was or is in your minds? Because just as he asked the disciples about the people, who do men say that I am? And then after he found that out, who do you say that I am? I'll ask you guys, who do you have you made up your mind and your heart? Who have you determined Jesus to be in your own heart? This is the most important question that you will ever have to answer in your entire life. The answer to this question by you determines your destination for eternity. Remember, he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. By this answer, you either have the key to the kingdom of heaven and you're going to get in and you're using it and you're going to get in, or you don't have the key 
to the kingdom of heaven, and you won't be getting in to the kingdom of heaven. So again, who have you determined Jesus to be in your mind? Do you believe that he's just one of like the people said here, oh, you know, I mean, like the Hindus. Oh, you know, he's, oh, he's God. Oh, he's, oh, I absolutely, yeah, but we believe he's God. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he, yeah, we, we believe he's God. But, you know, all roads really lead to heaven, you know. And, or like Muslims, oh, he was a godly man. Oh, definitely from God. Oh, definitely. Oh, man, God, godly man. Uh, you know, a, a messenger just like Muhammad, you know, just like, you know, just like others as well. You know, people of the book, Moses and Elijah. And just, to, he's definitely a man of God. But, you know, the Christ, the only way to heaven, oh, you know, and, you know, you, you, it's not right. How about... Are you think you're a Christian and you say, well, you know, we believe in Jesus. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Oh, amen. Oh, he's my Lord. But, you know, he's, he's just one of the ways to heaven. I mean, you, you can't sit here and tell me that, you know, he's just, you know, the only way to heaven. Oh, my gosh. Do you know, do you realize that the Bible is only one of the many hundreds, maybe even thousands of religious books out there? I mean, you know, I mean, I believe in Jesus. You know, he, he's my Lord and all. But, you know, after all, I, I can't say that he's, you know, I mean, yeah, he's the Christ, but, you know, he was the savior of, you know, the people that would, you know, choose him. You know, the people, that, you know, the Christians. But not, you know, Muslims, they'll still go to heaven because, you know, they're, they believe in God and they follow their religion. So what do you believe? Who have you made up in your mind that Jesus is? If you believe Jesus to be anything other than the Christ, the son of a living God, the savior of the whole world, by which no one that doesn't call upon his name will enter eternal life because the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So that means that all who don't call upon the name of the Lord won't be saved. Okay? So either he's the Christ, the one and only, the only messenger from God, the only servant of God, the only begotten son of God, a full of grace and truth, or you believe he's just another man. Just a prophet, just, you know, a man. Maybe you even think he's a great man of God. Well, I mean, he, he did all those wonderful things. But, you know, people have twisted the Bible. And, you know, you, you can't really believe the Bible because, you know, it's been messed up by man and all that stuff. And, well, who have you determined that Jesus is in your heart? Because the answer to this question is your eternity. And if you believe in him, anything else to be anything other than the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, then what you're doing is, is if you profess yourself to be a Christian or believe in the Bible at all, you, what you're doing is, just like if you met me, you heard me today. Oh, that, listen to this pastor guy today. And, oh, you know, I you know, agreed with what he said to a point, you know. I, but, you know, he, he was a great guy, man. He, he sounded like, I mean, I mean, he said he's from McKinney, but I, I think he was lying. I, I think he's from Africa. And, uh, you know, I, I, and, you, and you met me, and you say, and, I, and I'm about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, about 270 pounds, you know, I'm a white guy from up north, middle, middle, Midwest. And you meet me, and you say, well, you know, that guy, oh, he's a great guy. I met him, and, you know, I, I think he's, you know, he's definitely from Africa. You know, he's, he's uh, seven foot two, and he plays professional basketball. Well, the man that you would describe to somebody you'd meet, and the man that you saw and that you met wouldn't be the same. But even though you might use my name, all this... Pastor Ed guy. Well, unless you describe me as who I am, then you're not describing the real me. 
unless you think about and accept Jesus the Christ as who he said that he was in his word, the son of David from the tribe of Judah, God with us on earth, the only way to heaven, salvation for the whole world, Gentiles and Jews alike. Unless you accept these things, unless you believe in these things, then you're talking about a different Jesus. You're making up a different Jesus in your own mind, but you're just putting the name of Jesus on him. But you can't do that, you see, because a person is only defined by their teachings. A person is only defined by who that they say that they are and who they are when you meet them. A person is only defined by this. Jesus said that this belief in him is so important that it actually matters. If you don't believe this, you won't be saved or born again. And if you do believe this, you will. Listen to what he says in John 7.38. They're at a great feast. And he stands up at this great feast and he says, He who believes in me, listen, as the scripture has said, not according to whatever way you think you want to believe of me, or not in any way you think, oh, I'm just going to believe in him that he's this or that, or, oh, he's a great prophet of God. But as the scripture, the Holy Bible he's speaking about, of course, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he said this, the Bible says, to describe the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Being born again. Because if you don't believe in Jesus as who he said he was, then God, you can never, ever, ever be saved or born again. So if you believe in Jesus correctly, then what the Bible says here, when you're born again, the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old have gone, the old is gone, the new has passed. The, the old is gone and the new has come. Really, the Bible says that if you believe in him as who he says he is, then you should be a new creature. You're going to be changed. You're going to be a different type of person. You won't be the same as what you were before. The Bible talks about it as conversion. You just can't have this belief in Jesus like you have of the sun and the moon and the stars. Oh, wow, the sun and the moon and the stars, boy, they're real pretty. Oh, well, oh, wow, that rose, that's real pretty. You see, all those beliefs don't change you. The true belief of Jesus Christ will change you. It makes you to be born again. Jesus said it himself in John 7, 38. Are you changed by your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Does your knowledge of Jesus Christ cause you to live life a different way? Because if not, the Bible says that you've not been converted and that you don't believe in him as the scripture has said and that you need to. The true knowledge of Jesus should bring you to talk a different way, to act a different way, to live a different way, and even to think a different way. The steps of this salvation would go as follows. God wants you to know right now that if you don't have a correct belief in Jesus Christ, you're on your way to hell. And that only the Bible is the revelation of that true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you're in that boat right now and you don't think, well, I, I'm just not sure if Jesus is that. Well, God says right now you're in danger. That Jesus is who he said he was. Prophecy proves it. Archaeology proves it. Testimonies of believers like me, 14 years, God changed my life. That proves it. That you need to take your first step of repentance. And what repentance is, it's changing your mind. Realizing that you're wrong and the Bible's right. You're wrong and God is right. Taking a step of repentance. I, I, I'm sorry, dear God. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you are all in all. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You need to have this testimony or else. 
God says that you're fooling yourself. Then, after you repent, you need to surrender all that you are unto what Jesus said. Go after his words. Go into his words. Learn his words. Do his words. Make a decision in your heart to do his words, to surrender to him as the Lord of your life. For Jesus said, unless you take up your cross, unless you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. That, that, and that means if anybody wants to follow him, that's what they should do. Deny themselves, pick up their crosses and follow after him. And there's no salvation for anyone that's not made a choice and continuing to follow Jesus Christ with all their lives. And then your next step, of course, is to put all your trust and your hope and everything that God has written in his holy word for you and your life. Because if you're not trusting in him, then you don't have a real relationship with them because relationship is trust and trust is relationship. If you have trust with somebody or in somebody, you can have a relationship with them. If you don't trust them, then you cannot have a relationship with them. So please consider what the Bible says. Consider all the Bible says and seek these things out for yourself. And if you seek, as Jesus told Peter here, and as I say to you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you seek him for these truths and you go after these truths, God will reveal this same thing to you. But please consider who Jesus Christ said he was because he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the entire world, and not just some mere man of God, just another enlightened teacher. These are all lies from the devil just to stop you from the truth and stop you from eternal life with God. Are you born again and following Jesus Christ of the Bible? Or are you a believer in some kind of guy named Jesus who you just have a belief in and you made your own beliefs up, up in? You need to please examine yourself today and decide whether you're really following Jesus Christ according to his word, according to a Jesus that you've made up in your own mind. God loves you and he wants to save you. And Jesus Christ, the Savior of the whole world, wants to save you. You can't save yourself. Buddha won't be able to save you. Muhammad won't be able to save you. Krishna won't be able to save you. Nobody will be able to save you but Jesus the Christ. Amen. Let's pray with me, please. Lord, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for Peter's firsthand account witness that we can trust, Lord, because he he touched and handled and heard and looked upon you, just like John wrote in 1 John. Lord, so his testimony is true, and we can have confidence in what he said because, Lord, he was with you. He saw you. He knew you intimately, Lord God, as, as we would know our own mother or our own father or whoever the closest person that we are closest with in our whole lives. Lord, he knew you that way. And thank you, Lord God, of your approval of his statement. Because, Jesus, we believe, I believe, Lord, that you are the Christ, yeah. the Son of the living God, and not just another way to heaven or another enlightened teacher or just another messenger that God sent. Lord, and I know that that's dogmatic, and, Lord, I, I just I'm, I accept it because, Lord, you've shown me, just like, yeah. just like Father, just like your Father in heaven showed Peter, Lord, you've shown me that you are the only one. I just pray for anybody listening today that they would hear the evidences, that they would hear the proofs of what your word says and hear the eyewitness testimonies and realize that they've been wrong about their beliefs about you and repent in the way that they believe about you if, they're not, if their belief is not correct and they turn to you, Lord, and wholly know and fully know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I love you and praise you, dear God. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.